Welcome to the Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes, your host and podcast producer. This is a half hour of power, a podcast dropping every week where I unpack the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment, quality, and much, much more. Our guests are seasoned in the field or topic of their choice, even if you've not heard of them yet. This is a non-partisan show. So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue, white, green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. Everyone wants to be at their peak, ideally. Andrew Mays recognises one of the world's leading human performance strategists, leadership and transformation specialists in Australia. He is the CEO and founder of Strive Stronger, a digital consultancy that partners with organisations to create cultures of well-being. And he presents lots of presentations and is recognised as one of the world's leading performance strategists. And he works with a number of elite clubs, such as the mental skills coach for the Parramatta Eels National Rugby Club. And he's no stranger to elite physical performance. And he's a former middle distance runner who was an assistant coach at the Australian Institute of Sport in Tasmania. And he's worked with multiple Olympic and international athletes in areas such as track and field, tennis, swimming, hockey, netball, basketball, and AFL, culminating in working as the physical performance manager for both the New South Wales and Australian cricket teams. Andrew has dual degrees that cover both the body and the brain, completing a Bachelor of Applied Science in Exercise Physiology, the body part, and a Master's in Coaching Psychology, the brain bit. He's exploring a PhD in Performance Psychology and looking at how the body and brain work together to optimise performance in high-pressure moments. Partnering with Dr. Tom Buckley, they launched the Research Institute to translate evidence-based materials into all of the programs and products on offer. He's also a serial entrepreneur, having built and sold Good Health Solutions to ACOR, Australia's largest provider of executive health assessments, and in 2016, he sold a performance clinic to KPMG. He's actually worked as a partner for KPMG for three years and has experienced consulting in banking and financial services, sales, real estate, and a whole bunch of other areas. And he's a fellow podcaster, which is always exciting. He's the host of the Performance Intelligence Podcast, which provides science-backed ways to reduce burnout and optimise performance in our personal and professional lives. He's worked with lots of high-profile people. Some household names include ABC TV breakfast presenters here in Australia, Lisa Miller and Michael Rowland, a former CEO of the NRL, Ton Greenberg, entrepreneur Naomi Simpson and Tennis Australia CEO, Craig Tilly. And we're, of course, here to discuss all things optimum performance related. Welcome to the politics of everything, Andrew. Well, that's a big, big introduction, Amber. Podcasting remotely can be challenging, but it doesn't have to be. Since day one of the politics of everything, I have relied on Zencaster's all-in-one solution to make the process quick and painless, the way it should be for those of us who just love great content and want to get our ideas out into the world. If you know me, I'm obsessed with quality in terms of my guests, my sound, and everything about my show has to be great the first time. I'm time poor. It's so easy to use Zencaster. I'm not tech savvy and you don't need to be either. There's nothing to download. Just click on the link and off we go. Zencaster is all about making your podcasting experience easy and with everything from local recording to automate post-productions now in their toolkit, you don't have to leave your browser to get that episode done and done fast. I have a special offer for you and I hopefully you can experience what I have with Zencaster. Go to zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use my VIP code, the politics of everything, all lowercase in one word, to get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. How good is that? 
I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Gosh, you've done so much. I actually just am like, I just don't think this man sleeps, but we'll kind of get to that as we as we have our chat today. <laughs> I think it's why I studied human performance, so I can uh, try and have the energy to get through that. But one thing you did miss out, which I'll add, because sometimes people listen to a bio like that and they're like, oh, yeah, blah, blah, this guy doesn't get it. He's got no real understanding of the real world. And when I'm in a conference or when I'm speaking at a conference, Amber, here in Australia or around the world, that if somebody says, Andrew is also the father of four children, you see the audience go, oh, so he's normal. So <laughs> I, I don't know. Four's a lot. I've got two. Two is too much on some days. Sorry, kids, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot and they do definitely keep me on my toes. But you, you, you have to apply these skills as much as when you go home to your family as you do trying to be the best version of yourself with all oh. the corporate clients. So that, that's a juggle. I, I, don't, I, I definitely don't profess to always get that right. Fair enough. You're only human. So what did young Andrew want to do as a kid? Did you want to be an athlete? Were you one of the kids like my boys who want to be professional sports people? And um, did that happen or did you kind of go on a, a bunch of different paths? There were two different paths, I thought. One was I wanted to be a runner and I wanted to go to the Olympics because I was good at running from a young age. Genetics to be a good runner, trained, so that fostered that talent and had bad hand-eye coordination, so football definitely didn't choose me. And then the second one I wanted to do, and it was actually thinking about this recently because we were talking about this as a corporate program, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? In year two, I can remember standing up in front of a class at Gleninus at St. John's Catholic School saying that when I grow up, I want to be a sheep and wool officer with the Department of Agriculture like my dad. I don't even think that job exists now. No. Wow, that's interesting. You strike me as someone who could have done lots of different things and obviously we've we've covered some of your achievements so far. But getting into our topic today, how do you define optimal performance in in an individual? It's taken 25 years to work out a really simple definition, Amber. So I'll give you the simple definition and then we can unpack it. But to me, high performance is being the best you are capable of as consistently as you are capable of. Wow. Okay. That's good. And simple, like really simple. But I guess well, for most of us. It's a long time yeah. to get simplicity. It's There's a famous uh, quote that comes from William Tell. He'd written a six-page letter to one of his contemporaries and down the bottom he said, P.S., sorry this letter is so verbose. I didn't have time to make it succinct. Yeah. I think when I was first starting in this domain, high performance, I had big words, big concept constructs, and people would look at you and go, I don't really know what that means. So consistently being the best you are capable of. Yeah. And and I've, I've purposely left that opaque because someone might be listening to this and their goal is to be the best possible mother, father, community member that they can possibly be. And if they do that consistently, that's high performance. And you might have someone who wants to take on the corporate world or entrepreneurial spirit and do the same. But I've worked with a lot of people over the years and it's been a blessing with some of the coaching I've I've had the opportunity to do. I've worked with some really inadverted commas successful people and, and you would have had similar parallels with your media career and what you're now doing in podcasting where on the exterior it looks wonderful and then you you scratch beneath the veneer and you go, oh my goodness, this is on a, you know, a base of paper that it's just been all success, extrinsic, you know, getting the trophies, the rewards, that Western. Yes, yep, yes. yep. And Collecting then, things for the pool room, as we would say. <laughs> yeah. 
no pleasure, meaning, or purpose. So Yeah, I love that. Both, but you've got to work out. Meaning, I, I think you can be successful in that Western definition of money, power, kudos, external rewards, but have that linked to more of an intrinsic, internal pleasure, meaning, and purpose. Yeah, no, I think that's interesting. So from your expertise, and I guess you might have worked with all sorts of people and organisations in your in your time, what are some of the core building blocks that really underpin what makes us productive and optimal, if you like? And I don't know if you want to use those terms interchangeably or not, but is it the same for everyone? Are there some basic blocks which are there for everybody, even if we're all built differently and different drivers and things like that? I think there's five fundamental building blocks and there's another one that sits underneath and keeps it all accountable. I'll go through those. But before, can I be a little bit contrarian? Go. Let's start with what not to do because people often say, oh, look, what do we need to do and what are the building blocks? And I'll, I'll start, well, first of all, let's get rid of the distraction and what you're doing because you don't go to the what I call the performance building blocks or productivity building blocks until you get rid of the distractors. The first one is email. And, and you said this, which I really respect, before we started. You felt like my mum, Amber, saying, have you got your <laughs> mobile phone turned off? Have you got your pop-up email alert turned off? And I'm like, oh, I like this woman. She's good. Yeah. yeah, she's taking control. But there's nothing worse than when you're doing a podcast interview, you've got bing, buzz, buzz. So why is it any different if you're doing deep work in the office? Because so many people I talk to say, I just haven't got enough time to get everything done that I need to do. I'll go, right, there's 168 hours in a week. You sleep seven or eight a night. Yeah. There's a third. So let's say you've still got about 90-plus hours. Where does that go? And oh, I'm in back-to-back meetings. So if I look at a few things not to do, number one, don't constantly work in distraction. We know when you're in flow where everything yes. lines up and you're doing your best work, Mikhail Csikszentmihalyi says flow is that beautiful intersection of you've got the resources and the skill and the experience, but you're being stretched, you're being challenged. When you're in flow and a pop-up email alert comes in or, hey, Amber, in an open plan office, have you got a minute? And because you're a nice woman, you go, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll give you a minute. But it takes 24 minutes to get back into flow. So have a few periods during the week where you block out everything and do some deep work. Get rid of your email pop-up alert and just get out of this constant, this immediacy and COVID has accelerated it. I sent you an email. I haven't heard. So then I send you a text. I know. I try and call you. And then I use LinkedIn, Facebook. Oh, (laughs) my God, people, this is crazy. Everything short of sending the courier pigeon to your house, which a certain generation of people have no idea what I'm talking about, but that's, that's pretty, pretty true. <laughs> I, I get you and I understand that I think the discipline is hard for most of us and I'm guilty of it too. So while I'm podcasting, incredibly in flow, mindful, it's my training. I was a broadcast journalist. I always say to people when you're on live TV, you literally cannot think of anything else. So mm. it, it's really intense in that way. But I suppose for most of us, that distraction piece is sometimes we feel like it's part of our life. We can't ignore it. And even with the email piece, we go, oh, but that could be really important. What if I'm missing out? But I hear what you're saying. It's that deep sense of achievement and productivity, which you can only really achieve with focus. You can't have 65 tabs open on no. your laptop. It just and, doesn't work. And I don't want to sound like this perfectionistic, altruistic, hey, just work and flow all the time because your your listeners will be tuning out. But there's definitely periods in the week and ideally align this to your energy personality or your body clock. So for me, I'm a morning person. Oh, me too. 
So if I can have a couple hours in the morning before kids are up, before the world's alive, before I'm getting distracted by my athletes and CEOs and everyone else, in that two hours, Amber, I'll get more done than I will in an open plan office, like when I used to work at KPMG, in a week because you're constantly distracted. So just have a couple of windows during the week where you get that deep work. So but rounding out what not to do, don't be a pinball Bing, 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 from the moment you wake up until the moment you go to bed and then you stare at the roof and go, God, I'm busy, get out of the busyness. And and a lot of people have hijacked their central nervous system. Yes. So they are in stress or sympathetic nervous system from the moment they start the day. So contrary to like adrenal fatigue, which I've actually suffered in my 20s. Have you? you? Oh, yes. I I mean, I've definitely done it in in, in past careers and it's partly because of the type of work I was doing as a daily news journalist, but also not understanding the impact. Yeah, yeah. And and so if I double-click on that and then I will give you the five building blocks. But when you're a young man, a young woman in your 20s, early 20s, you can – go really hard and your central nervous system can be jacked and you can go out at night and people drink more than they're meant to and don't get the sleep. But you're 20, right? Your body's a biological experiment. It's beautiful and fresh. And then this catches up on you in your 30s. You definitely can't do this in your 40s. And in your 50s, it smashes you. And journalism is it, every day. It used to be the broadsheet or the 6 p.m. news. Now with you know the electronic versions of media it's constant so I, I do quite a lot of work in the media as well and I say to a number of the people I work with when you're on you're on but you've got to have boundaries and be off so with Michael and Lisa the host of Newsbreaky, as you mentioned in my intro they'll be across you know, news and obviously they do their three hours of live tv every morning which is a feat within itself but if they don't down regulate during the day they definitely aren't going to be able to sustain their roles and they definitely won't be that high intensity focus, concentration, adaptability when they need to. So for anyone listening to this, so that rule what not to be, don't think that the secrets to getting ahead is being across everything all of the time. Your body needs pause. You need to downregulate. Totally. I, I hear you and I'm sure lots of people out there are nodding as well. So optimal performance does sound a bit like perfectionism. We did touch on that. You didn't want to sound like a perfectionist. And while sometimes that can be good, I guess for a lot of people that may create mental health kind of concerns because, you know, you feel like you've got to have all these cylinders firing and even if you're in flow, then you've got to go do your exercise and you've got to eat well and there's always a lot of things happening in any one day for anyone, how can we find a balance so that optimal performance does not become a drain on us? Oh, this is a question I like. I'm just thinking about which way I... (laughs) It's not an easy answer, but I want to give you a a meaningful answer. So the the frame on this, Amber, is the difference between X, EX versus in IN. And I think the EX, external, extrinsic, extrogenous is all exterior, and, and that's the person who's wanting to get feedback from everybody else. And that's yes. achievement, and there's nothing wrong with this. It's what I said at the start, you know, around that difference between the Western and the Eastern definitions of success. But if it's all just to impress other people, I said this to a partner at a consulting firm I'm working with recently. I said, have you, have you ever got to that stage where you see that you're working your backside off you leave home early, you're back late, and you tell yourself you're doing this for a better life for your kids and your family. Then you go on holidays and your kids think you're an asshole. Everyone's arguing. You've got a big house with rooms you never use. You've got a car with seats that no one ever populates. And then you wake up one day and go, is this as good as it gets? 
And he said to me, oh, my God, mate, you've just explained my last 20 years because I've been so focused on success mm. and achieving and I've missed the other. So getting to the answer, the in is fulfilment. It's that balance between achievement and fulfilment. And fulfilment is more intrinsic, you know, internal. Yes. And this is aligned with purpose or meaning. So Which I think are- it's used a lot as a buzzword. So just on that, like purpose, and I work with a lot of leadership consultants and people in my in my, my PR business, and it's like I say to people, when you talk to the journal, please don't use the word purpose because they're just going to, eyes are going to glaze over and they're going to just think that's just another buzzword. So for a lot of us, that even is a struggle, I imagine. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. It's it's a bit like vulnerability, and and I love that Brené Brown has put vulnerability on the map to be authentic and bring your true self to situations and conversations. But when I see a leader at a conference stand up and say to the audience, "I, I am now going to be vulnerable to you or with you," I vomit. Go, no, 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 don't say you're going to be vulnerable. Oh, be I know. vulnerable. <laughs> It's like they've written the speech and they've got the footnotes, but they're reading the footnotes, right? Yeah, yeah. So on your purpose point, one, I fundamentally live being on purpose now, and I didn't when I was at KPMG earning a lot of money and doing mainly work in Australia and and some around the world. It was all X, 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 X. And I wasn't miserable, but I wasn't fulfilled. So I worked with a great guy named Richard Burton and he coached me and took four months to really help me understand what my purpose is. So from a, a science point of view, we know purpose, it's a little bit like a GPS and it, it, it's the coordinates that guide you. So I will now use my my purpose, my clearly articulated personal purpose to help me make decisions. It's really help me filter with opportunities, especially the sports conditioning work. I do all the consulting. I run it via my purpose, which is waking people up to reach their full potential. So it's short, but it took four months to come up with. Um, And it's either a hell yes or a hell no. But I get what you're saying because there's a lot of, uh, Simon Sinek has written an amazing book, which says um, it starts with why. So if you don't have your why, everyone then feels like they are not, you know, operating at the full intensity, blah, blah, blah. So purpose done the right way is awesome. Purpose done the wrong way is kitsch and you feel like you need a shower. But I would really encourage your listeners to go deep on purpose at some stage. But it's got to be the right time where you have a bit of capacity and you've got a bit of time to focus on it. Otherwise, you'll just skim across it and it won't work. Absolutely. We have talked a little bit about flow earlier in our conversation today. I think the challenge is for some people, and I'm in a I'm in the fortunate position where I've created, you know, a life of purpose, but also I'm self-employed. So, you know, for me, I exercise first thing in the morning before everyone's up. My agenda, my day, I can block out time. You know, clients can only access me at certain times. Podcast guests can only access me at certain times. But some of us just have to push through our natural tendencies to be in flow because we've got other demands. So, so what do we do to kind of recalibrate so we can get the most of our day but be aware that we can't always do the perfect thing at the perfect time in the perfect place? Yeah, and guys, I, I don't at all live perfect. Hey, but before I answer that, what's your purpose? I think for me my purpose is about connecting and communicating with others and I think that sort of underpins not just my my work life but my private life, the way which, you know, I work with, you know, in, in a not-for-profit capacity but also I think about it must be a middle-aged thing, I'm sure, you know, things like my legacy and what, what that might look like beyond, you know, doing, doing the day-to-day, doing the kids and, and the business stuff. So for me it's about really communicating and communicating with that power and purpose in mind and everything I do. So that's kind of 
of for me how I've kind of summarized it. But of course, within that, there'll be different streams and buckets and things like that. That's good. And, and you're, you are on purpose when you say that. My experience with you and listening to your podcast, you are definitely on purpose doing this. Oh, thank you. Excellent. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be a very short interview if I said, well, but I really think you're not on purpose. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, I just love to be able to have for other people, I guess, some tools that they can help, you know, as I said, make sure that they can be in flow longer, perhaps even if it's not their best time. And I love working in the morning too, but I don't always get that choice. I've got global clients, for example, and right. I do have to jump on a Zoom at eight o'clock at night on a Friday. Yeah, I'm going to give this answer two different levels and I've got to circle back and give you those building blocks quickly as well, even though some of them we've danced in and out of. So the, the, the first one on this is your chronobiology and that's your body's natural circadian rhythm. Try and make that work for you and align tasks when your concentration curve or your, your energy levels are higher. And, and, I, and I bracket this into three basic levels. So a morning person like you and I, we're awesome first thing of the morning. We probably fall off a cliff after lunch. So if you can do high-end cognitive work, if you're a morning person in the morning, you'll be 30% more efficient. Now, the people listening who think morning people suck, they're the, the evening people or what I call the bears. Uh, so they are great late afternoon and into the evening hours. And, and I think COVID has given us a lot more flexibility and diversity, thank goodness, around this and working from home a lot more. So if you're a person that focuses much better late afternoon or an evening, try and set at least a day or two a week up where you do that. You don't have to be starting at nine o'clock with everyone else. And, and some people will listen to this, Amber, and go, hey, I'm confused. I'm like a gazelle and, and a bear. Well, you're the tiger, the, the, the middle range. So you're good of a morning, but you tend to hit your concentration peak that sort of late morning, you crash after lunch and then you have a second wind in the afternoon. So I am more of a gazelle tiger. So I'm really good of a morning. I crash after lunch, but then I'm good. I've got a second wind in the afternoon. Now, and I'll say this clearly, when I get the choice, because it's not always, when I get the choice to work, I'll align it to do that deep work or thinking work either of a morning or in that sort of mid-afternoon. So that's the first thing. Are you a gazelle, bear, or a tiger? And a few times a week, align your high-end tasks to your energy levels, and the research shows you get 30% more done. So this is working smarter, not harder. Now, yes. I'm sure you listen to this and go, now, Andrew, I speak at conferences sometimes after lunch, and I'm a gazelle. So do I get up and say, g'day, everyone, Amber, bit of a gazelle, not really feeling it. Um, next time, book me of a morning, you'll love it. You can't do that. You won't have a job. So there's times during the day where you need to ramp your energy and your state up so you meet the meeting in your diary and you're ready for it physically, psychologically and emotionally. And that's an art form is, is to get used to that and know how to do that. Yeah, I love that. I think that's really practical for people as well. I love being in nature and I guess most of us on our devices all the time and on our laptops and in front of the TVs can actually make ourselves more fatigued than we need to be. I love being outside because it makes me refreshed and mindful. But I think for some people, you don't always have that access. So if you are still working in an office most of the week in the city, for example, nature is not necessarily just outside your door like it is for me. How can we make this a habit? And why does it matter in terms of, I guess, our engagement between nature and our optimal performance? Mm, it is outside for you. That was beautiful when you did that. I don't know if everyone listened, but you could hear the birds. Oh, yeah, I cued the birds, especially for this. So I'm on the New South Wales Central Coast, but I'm in a sort of semi-rural area and I do love nature. I'm not a beach person, but I do love trees. Yeah, yeah. So, well, 
nature is awesome, right? And, and you go back, indigenous tribes, my indigenous friends go, you crazy Europeans, like what are you doing now thinking that, you know, teaching people nature is good for you? We've known this for thousands of years. You just didn't listen to us. So there's a concept called grounding that the Australian Indigenous Aboriginal population have been doing for thousands of years. There's similar pathways in India, in, in, in rural America as well. And grounding is taking your shoes off and walking on grass or natural earth. So if everyone listening to this, no matter where you work, on the beautiful central coast or in a big concrete jungle where you don't get outside in a contact centre, a couple of days a week, just go and walk on the grass, walk in the sand. There's a CEO I coach, and um, I'll, I'll keep it neutral, but he runs one of Australia's largest companies. I met him at a very popular beach in Sydney last year, Amber, and this was the first coaching session I did with him. And we are just going for a walk and talk because you know, he said, look, I'm overweight, I don't move. And I said, I'm not sitting down in a coffee shop. We're going to do a walking coaching session so we actually get you some steps. It's good for me as well. And then we finished and as we're wrapping up, I said, look, I want you to take your shoes off and we're just going to go for a little bit of a walk on the sand. And he, he looked at me like I had rocks in my head. He said, you want me to take my shoes off? I said, yes. And I could tell he, he wasn't used to being told what to do. And he wasn't probably that comfortable with that idea, you know. No. <laughs> just, yeah. And so he took his shoes off and we're walking. I said, I want you to do this concept grounding a couple of days a week. And he said, I'm paying you for this. I said, yeah, you're paying me a lot for this. And if you don't listen, it's not going to work. And he was traveling, I was away. Fast forward, we catch up a month later. He ran over to my car when I pulled up at the beach. He said, Andrew, I've got to tell you something. He said, do you know there's birds? I said, what do you mean? He said, listen. He said, there's birds here. I've been living here by the beach for 10 years. I haven't noticed the birds. And I thought he was joking. But he just wow. said to me, I want to say thank you because you challenged me. He said, I have been in autopilot. If I go back to what we were speaking about before, he was so achievement focused. It was so ex, external, extrinsic, all those exogenous mm. rewards that he didn't even notice there were bloody birds in his beautiful multi-million dollar house. And I just looked at him and I said, you're different, aren't you? He said, I, I could finish the coaching session now. Yeah. And wow. say so it's been successful. And I, I then had a, a wonderful conversation with him about this Latin word, which is biophilia, which is the feel-good effects of nature. So, yeah, I build a lot of this into my coaching sessions. Yeah, no, I do. And, I, and I've sort of, that's why I've pulled this from because I don't think a lot of us think about that. When people think about coaching and performance, they literally probably picture, you know, some in the office exercises, some worksheets, some self-talk. But certainly this nature piece, I think, is really simple but obviously effective. Mm. I, I was at an executive performance program yesterday with a large Australian energy company in the boardroom, beautiful building in Sydney, and the CFO in the middle of my presentation just stood up and he went, oh, my God. He said, Andrew, all this stuff you're teaching me, I do on holidays. I said, explain. He said, well, I wake up rested. I do grounding. I listen to my kids. I have a coffee with the wife. I have all this space. I reflect. I write in my journal. I, I'm, I'm interesting and I'm interested in others. I have a much better, I, I taught them about vagal tone and that emotional regulation. He said, all that stuff you said. He said, on holidays, I'm awesome and I do all this. Then I get busy and for some reason I cut it all out and go, I'll just finish this quarter or this week. He said, and then I become a really bad version of myself. He said, so you're telling me everything I do in holidays, I just need to pepper that through the week. I said, done, yeah. I'm out of here. Yeah. 
Oh, absolutely. Burnout's something that's very common and I guess for a lot of people living busy lives, whether they be family commitments or careers and so forth, most of us have experienced a degree of it, I reckon, at some stage in our careers when we get to a certain age and stage of life. How can this be prevented and then we remain hyper-successful? The old burnout question, I think every discussion I'm having at the moment, burnout comes up. So let, let's step back a little bit before we step into what burnout is and, and the, the challenge. There's being burnt out. And if, if someone's extremely burnt out psychologically, and there's also physiological burnout or adrenal fatigue and everything that goes with it, those people won't be able to work again. So that's the extreme case of burnout, where someone has cooked themselves that much physically, mentally, emotionally, psychologically, I'd add spiritually, that they have to go and do something different. And the psychological research shows this, Amber, and you would have seen in media. I've worked with some people in media who I've, I've actually said, look, you can't work in media anymore because you have just cooked your system. You need to go do something that's a lot less stressful for your body. But what a lot of people have is they feel burnt out. And, and, and the problem on that is they've just had too much stress and not enough recovery. Now, stress is awesome. So my role as a performance coach and working with elite athletes now around the world, I want my athletes to love stress, to lean into stress, and to know that stress is is a really important part of their day-to-day. But I also want them to embrace recovery. And when I say this to an audience or a coaching client, most people go, oh, geez, all I do is stress the system I'm on, and I never down-regulate or have any recovery. So the first thing I say to people when they say, oh, I'm burnt out, is what are you doing to downregulate? And, and downregulate from a scientific point of view, there's two parts. One is psychological detachment, switching your brain off. Hello, nature. Hello, getting into basics and hearing the birds. And the second one is the parasympathetic activation. With big words, so that's recovery. So dropping your heart rate, dropping your breathing. So if, if you can do those two activities, Amber, switch off psychologically and get your body to relax, down-regulating, you're then reloading the system, you're renewing the system, and then you can go up again. And that's the foundations of what we do in sport. You train hard, recover hard. But what's happened in the corporate world now, especially with COVID, we used to have these borders at the start and end of the day, but we've shaved them off as well because we're all set up on our tech at home. So we're always on. Going back to what we spoke about earlier in the interview, the key to productivity, first of all, is not being distracted all the time. So if, if I can summarise this, the way we're working is not working for sustainability. We've got to change. We can't keep going thinking we can be on all the time. Yeah, I think that's really important and good advice for everyone, whether you know, you've been burnt out or you're feeling a little bit stretched at the moment. Is there a couple of optimal performance role models, maybe just one, that you really kind of have worked with or you've observed that you, you sort of go, they've kind of they've kind of worked it out and it, it could be for me yourself, I'm not sure. And why why is it that person? I think if I used myself or your audience would think of a word that rhymes with banker. <laughs> <laughs> but you've obviously done the work is what I'm saying. Well, I have, but I've learned from lots of others and I haven't always got it right at all. I'm, I'm very open about that, that I, I think I'm good at teaching this because I've learnt along the way, but I've also mucked it up. So I, I teach a lot of this from personal experience on what I haven't done over the years as well, and that's another story for another day. I don't have one person that I think of, but there's multiple people that have influenced me. So I'll give you a couple. One's a beautiful man named Bruce Eaton who unfortunately passed away. Uh, I paused 15 years ago because Bruce was my massage therapist when I was in Tasmania, 
uh, down at the Institute of Sport. And I was diagnosed with a melanoma. And two days later, Bruce was diagnosed with a melanoma on his opposite shoulder. And three months later, Bruce passed away. And he passed away just before my eldest daughter was born. So that's why I, I always think how old's Mickey and that's how long Bruce is. Bruce has been passed away. And when I went to say goodbye to Bruce, there were two things going through my head, Amber. One was, God, that could have been me, right? My melanoma was twice the size of Bruce's. And, and unfortunately, he's metastasized and, and he's not here now. But Bruce, I didn't even realize back then, but he was a massage therapist, but he was really a spiritual father for me. And he taught me about nature and breath work and using sauna and cold water therapy. This is way before Wim Hof and all the, the rock stars we have now. So Bruce is a humble man. Uh, a lot of people wouldn't have heard about him, but he's a beautiful, caring man. And he really was one of the first men I knew of. He'd played rugby league at a high level and he was tough, but he had that beautiful softness and it wasn't weak, which a lot of that toxic masculinity looks at weak as being bad, but he had this softness and embrace. And I can remember after the second massage, I, I left and he gave me a hug. And it didn't feel weird or creepy or anything like that. It was just his energy. So, yeah, Bruce, for me, is the person that first really opened my mind up to there's more out there than just go, 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 go. And a lot of what we used to think was woo-woo, which we've now put signs to it, Bruce introduced me to that stuff, you know, 20, 25 years ago. Amazing. Best piece of advice you've ever been given and why? That there is not one best piece of advice. <laughs> when you hear... Somebody say the only way to do it is this, and N equals one. I think it's fundamentally flawed. So I don't think there's one best bit of advice. I think there's multiple touch points. Our bodies, our brains, the world we live in is highly complex. I think scan the information and then distill it to what is going to work for you. Yeah, absolutely. If we spoke again in a year's time, do you have a goal that you'd like to share with us that you hope to have achieved? And just quickly explain why it's important to you. Oh, I do. I wasn't expecting this. Um, Big, scary goal even. Or something small. Sometimes it's really small for people. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a real one. So, yeah, maybe need to come back in a year and see whether it's worked or not. My, my business, Strive Stronger, which is a digital, physical and psychological well-being business, I'm good at starting businesses and I believe Strive's at the time now at the stage where I've got it almost as far as I can. So it needs a new uh, CEO. So I'm talking to a couple of people at the moment. So yeah, a big goal of mine in 12 months' time is I've stepped away from running strivestronger.com. We've got a great CEO. I'm still involved, but that has freed me up to do more work around mental skills and um, more of the work that I'm really passionate about. So that's a really explicit one. A year from now, I would love to not be the CEO. Oh, well, I'll check in. I'll come and see how that's worked out August next year. Just a final takeaway message for us today on the politics of optimal performance. Yeah, final message, and I've got to close the loop because otherwise your people who've got good memory recall will be saying, he didn't fill in the building blocks. So I'll give people the building blocks. And it's really interesting, Amber. I, I don't know whether you've set this up, you are just way ahead of me if you set this up purposely. But we've actually danced between all of these five building blocks today without even realising it. Look what you've done It's a done little bit me. spooky. <laughs> so the five building blocks is number one, self-awareness. You've got to know where you are. Do not be in that river in Egypt called denial. Self-awareness is, is the key. 
The second one is stress and recovery balance. We've spoken a lot about that today in our interview and I haven't always got that right and it's what I teach with athletes and that's about sustainability. The third one is have a sustainable operating rhythm. Uh, I set my year up and I'm sure you do too with two beautiful children. I go hard for 10 weeks and I downregulate for one or two. It's called the school semester. It also aligns, thankfully, with the corporate reporting cycle. You cannot work 52 weeks of the year. So I love that operating rhythm. Go hard for 10 or 11 weeks, downregulate for one. Do that a few times or four times a year and have a bit more time off in January. Four is physical capacity. Don't think of fitness training you do and the nutrition you do has got anything to do with the way you look. That's a bonus. It's the energy to perform in all parts of your life. And when you build that physical capacity, you handle stress and pressure much, much better. And the fifth one, and you mentioned this, is deep focus. So the building blocks is be aware, number one. Two, balance your stress and recovery. Three, have a sustainable operating rhythm. Four, build a physiological capacity so you've got that buffer. And five, periodically shift from where you're trying to do everything, be across all the multiple devices and spend some time on deck focus. I love it. So much in there. And if you do want to find out more about what Andrew does, of course, there's some details on the show notes. It's been an absolute pleasure. Lots of things to think about. And thank you so much. Pleasure. I've really enjoyed this, Amber. Your journalistic background shines through in your questioning. Perfect. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the politics of everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests. So if you or someone you know has a fresh idea you're busting to get out there, please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.